It's an era of change, of ideals and cultures constantly colliding. We need brave people who will find the way of hope in the chaos, who will elevate truth in their speech and activate reform in their lives. Lee Sloan welcomes you to this Brave Nation. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast guest. Her name is Priscilla Hurley. And it's December, so it's the time that many of us celebrate the birth of a very special little baby who changed all of history. Well, what better month, I thought, to bring up the brave conversation about abortion and about the mindsets in our culture that lead to abortion. Priscilla has a really unique story. She's experienced all sides of the abortion industry firsthand. From her birth, her mother decided to abort her and she miraculously survived. Then as a young adult, she had abortions of her own and even worked in an abortion facility and taught sex education from that perspective. Since then, she's come full circle as a pro-life and abstinence educator. Let's hear more about her story and her insights now. Yeah, I I came into this world, um, thankfully, under, uh, you know, the saving grace, um, because my mother did try to uh, have me terminated uh, through abortion before I was born. So I did survive. She found out when she was four months pregnant that I was still, that she was still pregnant, much to her surprise. She had been widowed. So she had four children already as a young widow. Um, and like many women in, and you know, in a situation like crisis situation like that, she panicked and let fear uh, rule the day and um, found the resources in Southern California. I think she went across the border actually to Mexico. Um, so yeah, I have a, a history that, um, but let me, let me just say that the sexual freedom revolution of the late sixties is what I got caught up in because of the fact that I was very vulnerable through my own trauma of surviving an abortion. That was a traumatic experience that affected my mind and my behavior. And I I had a lot of emotional needs that I was trying to meet um, myself. So that ends usually in a lot of pain when you try to figure things out on your own. But, um, but I, I, became, you know, a a, a sort of a victim of abortion, not only losing two children myself, but then also being propelled to work in the industry. So I have this, this uh, multi-layered experience with uh, this very dark and deceptive world. And um, I did have a life-changing event um, in when I was 31 and I, uh, it changed me from the inside out. And uh, I am very, very grateful to be able to have the opportunity now to share my story, to encourage other people. <clears throat> but then also I was given an opportunity to run a nonprofit in Southern California in the 90s where abstinence education was what we were doing. And we did that for nine years and I, I really, I didn't know abstinence was a choice until I was 37. I didn't know about the, the mind being engaged in the decisions about sex, because I think unless you're taught that 
you're not going to know it. So I, and I didn't get, I wasn't taught that. I didn't have any moral structure around that. Back in the 50s and the 60s, you know, culture and society protected us, right? Because there was some moral, moral, uh, you know, uh, I guess, safeguards in place. You know, you really, it, only the bad, I mean, when I was in high school, only the bad kids had sex be, before marriage, right? My, my brother, who was six years older than me, uh, got married when he, right after he got out of high school because his girlfriend was pregnant. Well, that's what they did. They got married. Um, and so culture had been dealing with the issue of sexual activity much differently. Um, and I, I just have to say that there was an intended agenda that began with Alfred Kinsey, Margaret Sanger, these elite academic types that um, I don't know if you're aware of Alfred Kinsey, but he was a biologist. Um, he studied insects and he was he was raised in a Christian home, but he was very upset that his parents, uh, you know, put a lot of restrictions on his expression of sexuality. And so he really, I think, openly rebelled against this. When he got older, he created, he wrote these books that were based on data that he, he um, I, I got through interviewing pedophiles and prisoners and all this very bad data. But it was written in an academic form and it was elevated as this wonderful revelation of uh, human sexuality. And so that his first book was published in 1948 on men, male sexuality. And then he published another one in 53 on female sexuality. And he and his cohorts and Margaret Sanger just started to started at the academic elite, the Ivy Leagues, and they started infiltrating the profession to teach this stuff. And it was basically 10% of the population are homosexual. So that's what he ascribed in terms of his own uh, data. The problem is, is that his data was corrupt. And if you look at his books, you will see that there is a lot of sexual abuse in uh, sexual abuse of children, very small children, because they believe that you are sexual from birth. And, you know, this is playing out in our life today, is it not? So this is what his book, his philosophy, his quote unquote academic achievement brought into our culture, uh, secularizing any kind of sexual content and sexual behavior was just there is no boundaries at all. And this is what he started, and it's continued to kind of creep its way through. It started at college, and it's just gotten down through, through the grades, high school, middle school, now elementary school. So, And we see the confusion of gender, gender now. We see the gender bending the kinds of things that um, comprehensive sex education, Planned Parenthood, and so many other resources. It's, I mean, there's so much money in this. It's, it's, it's frightening, really. But they're, um, 
they're really uh, grooming kids, right? Grooming kids for abortion, grooming kids for sex trafficking, grooming kids for all kinds of trauma and destructive outcomes in their own life. And so I have become, you know, I've, I've presented a lot of information and part of it is just trying to get uh, as a survivor of the 60s. And that's what I am. I mean, I am a survivor. I didn't, you know, so many people got diseases. Uh, the people that I worked with in the 90s, we had speakers that were yeah, infected for life with human papillomavirus, herpes, HIV, AIDS. And when you go into a classroom of young people and girls come up crying to you because nobody ever told them that they had a choice and they already have HPV, they have to go to the doctor periodically and get warts burned off because they're 14, 16 years old, you know, it's devastating. And it's kind of like, okay, we got to really try to do something about this. So our program that I ran for these many years was very simple. And but yet that's where we are. We need to get back to first principles. What are our choices regarding sex? You know, you can say, well, yeah, I'm good. I'm so excited. I'm 13 years old and I can't wait to have sex. Okay, great. Or you could be, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. You know, I'm just bumping a log. I don't know. I see everybody else and what's going on, but I haven't in my own mind made a decision. Or you're one of these young people who, whose parents have taught them the, you know, the right way to, to deal with it, to be a good steward, and that they're, they're planning to wait, maybe until marriage if they can. That's the ideal. But so we just, we laid this out in front of them very simply as like three different roads, you know, yes to sex, undecided wait. And you would not believe, I mean, I can't tell you, and I, I'm so passionate about it because the reason I am is because of the lives that were changed as a result of just simply putting these three different decision groups up before them, talking it through, talking, educating them about the diseases, talking to them about you know, if you're not decided about it, who's going to decide for you? If you don't make a decision, you know, the culture and the world we live in is going to just going to suck you in, right? So, and then talking about how to wait, why to wait and how to wait and the benefit that brings to their own lives. Because, you know, how many girls out there really, if you, if you ask them, how many girls are still, you know, dreaming about, you know, the wedding, right, goes through the bride, the bride uh, books and goes, man, I really like that. And they, they kind of dream about this kind of stuff. This is, this is, um, and it's not unrealistic, except that if they sexualize every relationship that they're in, they're, they're putting themselves at risk of realizing that dream that they want. Um, especially if they get a disease, because that way, you know, the disease is in control. Um, it's kind of funny. One of the speakers, she and she and her husband both had uh, herpes. And I don't know if they got it from each other, but they got they were married, but they teased the kids and said, you know, when you're married, you think you can have sex whenever you want. But the reality is you can't because the disease is in control. You know, if there's flare-ups, it's painful, it hurts, you're, you know, all this. So it's just a reality check. And um, the fact that we transparently shared from our personal lives, and that's, that's 
the benefit of um, working with speakers and having them um, talk through and narrate their own personal journey, whether it's abortion, right? Whether it's having it, being a teen mom and having their child. And we don't want to, I mean, I worked in the abortion industry, you know, they don't look at it, they don't look at it as even being a human being. Um, They look at it as a disease, really a malady that needs to be solved, that needs to be gotten rid of. And I, you know, I'm coming to terms with that myself because, you know, I was, I'm an abortion survivor. (laughs) So I'm not, I'm not, I never was a malady. I never was a clump of tissue. I mean, I, I was always human and I'm human today. So, you know, that's, that's a reality that I think the abortion survivors were getting a a team of people that are going to be up and speaking out more and in front of groups because, you know, the abortion industry dehumanizes the child. You can't dehumanize somebody who's right in front of you. And our leader, uh, Melissa Oden, who's been in front of Congress, they won't even look at her in the eye. And she is a survivor of a saline abortion. She had her mother tried to um, went through an abortion in 1977. Um, so I, I'm very passionate about the abstinence message. Why? Because it prevents trauma, and kids do not know that they have a choice. Um, I'm starting a business and a website called The Choice to Choose. And I use that term, the choice to choose, because one of the young men that we spoke to in juvenile hall, um, you know, juvenile hall, young teenage kid, right? He's already made some bad decisions with his life. And he comes up to me on, well, he doesn't come up to me. He wrote on his evaluation because we always had them evaluate the program. And he was so grateful. He just was speaking how much the program helped him. And he said, I never knew that I had the choice to choose. And I just, when you think about that, and then you think about what Planned Parenthood is doing, and I know because I was on that side of the fence, they don't, they are just condoning, they're just going out expecting kids to do these things. I taught about birth control. And so it's just, they're going to have sex. So we're hoping and praying that they're going to have it safely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that necessarily is, that alone is just a message that tells them that this is what we expect you to do. And was, was it encouraged? Like, I mean, do you feel like it was encouraged on that side oh, of it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So it was, it was a factory for abortions, yes. basically. Yes, right. Because, you know, God's procreative plan, if I may say, which is to create life. Um, you know, I worked in the abortion clinic and they don't look at it like that at all. And they lie and they deceive because they need to sustain their business. So they, a, a woman that comes into a, an abortion clinic that has fear there was a woman that once told, asked the question, is it killing? Well, you know, here's a woman in a group of women, there's about eight of them. And she says, is it killing? Well, um, I know now, yes, it is. But then I was kind of not in a real, I wasn't in reality, but she was fighting for her child. 
But the director that was in the room with us that day said, well, if you think killing a fly is killing. Mm. So see, I mean, they don't even recognize that it's a child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the woman herself recognized that, but it was discounted. She went through the abortions. Nobody stopped and said, let's talk about this. You really need to you know, that's a very serious question. It, when you go into the school now, it doesn't sound like you're hyper moralizing the situation. You're saying oh. these are your three choices. You're not saying you have to choose abstinence. You're saying here are some no. ways you can manage your risk, right? Well, not only that, but you're in, you know, I, I will tell you that, you know, Planned Parenthood likes to say that they do abstinence, but you can't do it effectively if you don't believe it. Mm. And the reason our program was so effective is because the people that taught it walked it, they lived it out and they believe it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like trying to sell something to somebody where you just go, ah, it's really not a, a very good product. You know, now here's how you spell the word abstinence on the chalkboard, <laughs> but you know, you're not there. Nobody's going to make that right. So, so I think it's convincing. It's convincing them that not, not that they should do this, but that if you look at it, Lee, if you look at it on the board and this is what we do, we work it all out on the board and you can see, that is not a very smart thing to do because that is going to lead to a lot of pain for maybe a, a you know for why you know and or this is there's a lot of benefit to protecting my heart mm -hmm. to protecting my body to protecting my future and because you're valuable mm -hmm. you know you are valuable and I, I really speak a lot to women because, I mean, girls, because girls have a tendency to, to think that if they have sex, they're going to be loved. And, you know, I mean, I got caught up in that lie easily. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that if I can reach any girls with a message that empowers them to think of themselves differently, and, you know, they may discount my thing is, if they don't know, how can they even, how can they even consider it? And I tell you over and over and over and over again, how many kids were so grateful because nobody is talking to them about it and their parents aren't talking to them about it in a way that helps them and equips them with um, the, and believes in them, empowers them with the education Mm -hmm. You walk through and explain what HPV is, what happens, you know, the risk, uh, why condoms won't be effective in preventing it. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, they, they are not given truthful information. And I mean, um, Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion, abortion provider in the world. Yeah. And we think they're going to teach our kids anything that's true. I fell into this, the, the sexual, you know, sexual freedom revolution, which was really when Kinsey's philosophy kind of got bigger, you know, grew in my generation in college during the Vietnam War. And a lot of the stuff was going on in the 70s. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think parents got caught off guard, good meaning parents, and even the church, because 
they don't want to talk it. They don't want to deal with this issue. You know, it's, it's hard because why a lot of us made a mistakes too. Mm-hmm. And how am I, how can I tell my children to do it differently when I got caught up in things and made mistakes? I've had an abortion. Mm-hmm. I've had, you know, I'm living with a disease or whatever. And so that's part of what parents and, and grandparents or any aunts, uncles, whoever, they need to be encouraged to um, not be afraid. I used to tell parents this a lot. Don't be afraid to talk to your children about it, yeah. about what you, you know, what decision group were you in? Mm-hmm. Were you undecided? I know I was. So what happens? You get sucked into the yes to sex group right away. Mm-hmm. And don't be shy about sharing that because your experience is real life. And that's what is going to speak to their hearts. Right. And I, 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 like I was saying, I, it, you know, late sixties, all of the needs that I had coming into that time in my life. And I, I was like, I'd shudder to think if I was that needy, that lacking, that broken in today's culture, I don't know what, what, where I would be today. You know, I, I, cause there's just, there's an intentional intentional uh, effort to get to the children, to get to the children, to desensitize. When I was in college, I, I, I was thinking about this because when I was in college in the early 70s, um, I was taking a human sexuality class and they had like nine different videos going at once on the screen with various sexual stuff going on all different kinds of people with people and all this, you know, self-pleasure. I mean, it's like, this is what Kinsey wanted. Kinsey wanted the desensitizing, the demoralizing, the taking away any shame associated with sexual promiscuity and permissiveness of any kind. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still out there. And yet, you know, people like Jean who talks about this, who, you know, we're human, we're not, you know, we have a conscience and we get, we do get shame when we're engaging in behaviors that we know are perverted and outside of the self-protect, the protection of a better plan for our lives, right? So, um, yeah, that was, that was the, the breaking it down. And today there you know, I was in college today, the same kind of stuff is going on in the, in the elementary schools, where they're trying to break down any kind of, any kind of even modesty with girls and boys, you know, taking just breaking through that. And this is just so unnatural, so, so horrible. Uh, you know, I was looking, I, you know, I'm kind of exposed to a lot of resources. And one of the resources I saw, there was a 300% increase in transgender children in Utah of all places. And, you know, it's a fad now. It's a fad. And it so, is. you know, what we're looking at is, you know, parents needing to be equipped to not allow this to happen to their children because when they get to be 20, 25, when they, their minds are <laughs> developed, they're going to go, what the heck did I do? Mm-hmm. 
you know, I have no more female characteristics, you know, um, and it's going to be a very, very sad day. I have a trifecta experience with abortion that for the last two years, I've been working through healing through the Abortion Survivors Network and then the And Then There Were None ministry, uh, Abby Johnson's ministry. And I've, you know, I'm trying to reconcile all this so that I can encourage other people. And it's, um, and it, it is, uh, it is important to be able to talk about what you know to be true. You know, I have to share one quick story, Lee, because when you talk about freedom, um, so many kids in the schools are being told that if they just use a condom, they're going to be safe, right? I mean, get back to that. And one day I was, we were talking in the classroom and I just asked the question, how does that make you feel when somebody's just, you know, there's serious risk out there, but somebody's just saying, here, use this and it'll protect you. And it was really, really quiet. And then one girl finally looked up very meekly and she goes like, nobody cares. It makes me feel like nobody cares. Wow. And I think that's, that's where the freedom comes. When you know that the person who is sharing with you really does care about you and about your future. And um, so I, I think that is what sets people free to be able to say, you know, your, your choice, but here's, here's what you can do. Well, I'm currently involved in a group here in Alaska called Parents' Rights in Education, and we're going to be delving deeper into the topic of equipping parents around sex education in our schools. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, you can visit parentsrightsined.org and sign up to be a part of our Alaska chapter. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas as you celebrate life with your friends and loved ones. Talk to you next time.